The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Family, will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being such a loving, kind, and forgiving Lord and Savior. As we prepare ourselves to receive Pastor Scott's sermon, Lord, keep our hearts open and our minds open to the truth of your word. We love you, Lord, and we're so thankful that you meet us where we are. We lift up these prayers along with the ones that are locked deep within our own hearts. In your mighty son's name, amen. Good morning, everybody, and uh, we're so glad that you're here, and it's a privilege to be able to come talk to you and be a part of wherever you are in your living room or your household or wherever you might be watching, and uh, it is good to see you and great to be part of God's family with you. And we're going to start a new series today. I'm excited about it. It's called Praying Through the Psalms. And we have a lot of things that we are really glad that we get to teach on during this time. And I think it's going to be very helpful for you. One of the great opportunities of this time is it's an opportunity to reflect on our faith, reflect on where we are at with God. You know, when life gets disrupted, that's when God does an awful lot of work. And I know that many of you are in different places right now. Some of you have adapted pretty well to this schedule. For some of you, you've hardly noticed, but for many of us, it's a, it's a really rough time and for different reasons, for health reasons or for people that you're caring for, your kids or maybe your elderly parents or other people that you are responsible for. And uh, we know this is a tough time. But it's also, like any other time, a time to get things right with God. So we're going to start with Psalm number one today, and we're going to go through the book in different places. Randall and I will be taking you through different Psalms through the series. And um, as we look through today's text, what we're going to talk about is being blessed. The very first word in the book of Psalms is blessed. And literally, the word means being happy. And it's something that we get, not by seeking to be happy, but by being rooted in the Lord. And in every part of our life, we should be rooted in the Lord in this way. And it begins by seeing him as worthy of our life. And he is worthy of it, isn't he? Amen. Can I get an amen? I didn't hear you. Okay, I heard that. Thank you. Question for today is this, is how can I grow deeper in my faith during these times and live a life of blessedness or happiness in any circumstance? There are so many great things about the Psalms, but something that we should be aware of right away and remember is that these are songs, all right? And as we study these Psalms every week, we need to remember that this is a song. And whenever we put something into a song, 
the great thing about that is it's saying something a little bit deeper than what even just the words say, even when the lyrics are quite clear as they are in Psalm number one. It's a special art to be able to do this, to be able to put poetry to music. And there's a big difference between poetry and lyrics in a song and just saying something in prose. For example, here's an old poem by Lord Byron. It's not going to be on your screen. I just want you to listen. Okay, this is an old, old poem. It goes like this. She walks in beauty like the night of cloudless climes and starry skies and all that's best of dark and bright meet in her aspect and her eyes thus mellowed to that tender light which heaven to gaudy day denies. Now that's a lot richer and a lot different than just saying a woman in a black dress with shiny beads is really pretty and she walked by. You see, there's something more to it when you're adding the poem, when you're making it lyrical. It doesn't change the meaning of it, but it adds so much more. In songs, we're able to communicate about the deepest and most complicated of human desires and needs. And that's why some songs that you know will make you cry and other songs will make you very happy and bring you great joy. A song affects us differently because its truths can be interpreted very richly, not just by the words that are there, but by our own being, our own experiences, our desires, and it can inspire something very deep within us. And that's something that I believe the Holy Spirit is going to do with you each and every week as we go through these Psalms. And it should drive you to pray and drive you to be able to communicate with God better. How many of you really know how to pray or have taken time aside to do that? You know, one of the things that doesn't get taught very well is how to pray, but the Psalms teach us very, very well how we should pray. And so we want to remember that these are songs and they can be studied repeatedly because different people will get something different out of it each time, different truth. And also we have to remember that these songs are deeply relational, all right, and they are richly true. They are sung to God. They are sung about God. They are the pleadings of the heart. They are the joy of knowing love and forgiveness. They are the hope during struggle, the happiness found even during the necessity of lament and hard times. All of those things and more are part of the Psalms. In the Psalms, you're going to learn how to pray, to have a conversation with the Lord. And you don't need to write poetry yourself to be able to do that. But these songs will help you find the words even as you just pray through them between you and the Lord. And even as you just take time to read it and meditate meditate and think about it with God. Here's a question for you today as you think about it. You know, there may never be a time in your life where you have this opportunity again. So deepen your relationship with God. And here's a question, just a simple question for this time that I think is very relevant for a lot of us. Are you happy? Maybe it seems like a strange question to ask, and maybe you're concerned that I'm going to go off in some psychological conversation right now, but I really just want to ask you this question. Are you happy? Everything in your life has been disrupted. Your vacations have been canceled. Your season tickets aren't going to work for you this year. You've got your kids at home, which for most of you is unusual. You're not going to work. Maybe you've lost your job or you have great fear of losing your job that just a month ago you thought was secure. In all of those things, are you happy? Were you happy before the coronavirus? Would you have said that and you're not happy now? Or are you just the same now as you were then? Or maybe you're happier now than you were before the coronavirus. Well, It all depends on what you mean when you think about happiness. It all depends on what it means for us to pursue happiness. 
You see, we live in a time where there is an unusual way of pursuing happiness. It's different than throughout most of human history. It used to be that people understood that happiness was not guaranteed. It was something that you could pursue, like in our Declaration of Independence, it says that. And you could pursue it, you could work for it, you could make decisions, and you could walk a certain path and you might be happy. Interestingly, back in those days, it seems so backward to our modern thinking. People seemed a little bit happier. When you read the things that people wrote, the letters that are preserved, the books that people write, there wasn't a whole lot of self-pity. There wasn't a whole lot of some of the really down stuff that we have today in our art and our music and our literature. Most of it was upbeat, and even if it was difficult, there was always a sense of keeping moving forward and even seeking to find God in whatever the circumstance might be. And it's because back in the day, you used to know that you would pursue happiness most of the time by trusting God, and you understood that, but also people just understood that by doing good work and making good decisions and being wise, that happiness was a byproduct of good living, that happiness was a byproduct of making good decisions and then making the right moral choices whenever you had an opportunity to do so. It wasn't something that was just bestowed upon you all of a sudden or something that you had a natural right to. And that's the thing that is strange about the world that we live in today. Somehow, over time, we've decided as a culture that happiness is something that can be achieved through science or through technology or through psychology or sociology. And happiness is being defined by our own comfort, whatever it is that makes us comfortable. And that comfort has somehow become a human right that comes from good government or comes from good education or a healthy lifestyle. And the thing is, is that studies show that time and time again, that people who live in the most organized of societies and people who have the best educations and people who are the healthiest are often not happy. In fact, some people think that we're just not happy at all in the world today. In fact, some of the most successful people you know, maybe even some of you, who are the most comfortable in this life, who have had the best health and the best education, the best of whatever this world seems to be able to offer, you find that many of you are very cynical that you realize that in all the comfort that you have and all the things that you have been able to gather together, it hasn't provided you with happiness. Isn't that interesting? Even though life is more comfortable because of our technology and even though life is more comfortable because of science and even though we have some hope of of beating this virus because of science and technology and other things, when we get more comfortable, something else happens. We tend to have a a rise in anxiety and stress that's different. And people who have attained a whole lot of stuff worry so much about losing it. And then they work too many hours and they start to lose relationships and they don't have the deep friendships that they need to have and their relationship with God even slides. And it starts to create something entirely different. And the reason for all of that is because we're pursuing happiness in the wrong place. We're pursuing it in our own comfort. We're pursuing it in things that we have absolutely no control over. That's the hardest thing for a lot of us, isn't it, right now, that we don't have any control. We thought we had control a month ago, but we don't have it now. And every day we have to deal with that. See, happiness is not addressed by science or technology or education or comfortableness. The truth is, what's going to make you happy is profoundly spiritual and true and right with the universe the way God made it. You see, that's what reality is. That's why you can find happy people in the midst of miserable circumstances, and you can find miserable people in the midst of every seemingly great and comfortable circumstance. Biblically, for the Christian, happiness is not something that we're to seek. It's instead the byproduct of us seeking the right things. 
It's the result of decisions we make in relation to the reality of the way God created us, who we are before God, and how the universe actually works. There are three things I want to get help you get out of our passage today. One is happiness is the result of prioritizing God as the most worthy of our attention. Living life, you'll get happiness by living life according to God's word, and also by knowing that God knows me. So first, let's talk about prioritizing God as most worthy of my attention. Psalm 1 begins this way. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Blessed, it simply means happy. If you're wondering why I'm talking about happiness, it's because that's what that word actually means. In the Hebrew, it's really an exclamation right here. Oh, how happy people are. It's an expression. It's a foundational well-being of a person. Blessed, happy is the one, it says. Here's a question to ask yourself. Do I think that God is worthy, the ut- has the utmost worthiness of my time and my attention and my life? Should I give God my praise? Should I also give God my lament and my grief and my joy, my presence, all of these things that we'll read about in the Psalms? Is God really worthy of that? You see, what we're learning here when you skip down is happiness. Happy is the person who delights in this. Blessed is the person who delights in these things, who knows God and knows that God knows them. This is a happy person. This is central to being content, joyful, and happy. If God is not worthy of your time and of your life, this is why you're not happy. Have you thought about that before? And you might say, well, I go to church and I'm tuning in here, aren't I? And I I go to my small group and I join these other things and I read my Bible. Yeah, but on your own private time, in your regular life, the path that you lead, is God worthy of your time? Is his word worthy of the effort to go in and understand it? Is it worth it to read these Psalms and to just sit and think about how it applies to you and how it speaks to you? The depth of this poetry that was written nearly 3,000 years ago. See, if you're not in his word, if you're not meditating on it, and instead you're getting counsel from the outside of it, if you're living against it, surrounding yourself with selfish and negative people, or being one yourself, you know what? Your happiness even if you have it all, will be only circumstantial. You might have moments of happiness and periods of time where you feel blessed and you tell people, oh, I'm blessed. But when things go the wrong way, when troubles come like COVID-19, when difficulties come that were not expected, and you find out you're not in control, that's where you find out where your happiness is based. Is it based in God, which is permanent, or is it based in something else? If you're struggling right now, I want to encourage you to keep listening as we go through this because we'll give you some steps to help you turn it around, to help you find joy and happiness no matter what your circumstances are right now. And I know that some of you are going through some very difficult times right now, very tough, and I understand that. This will help you wherever you find yourself. And if you're finding yourself in a great place right now, you could still be just circumstantially happy. Maybe you lost your job, but maybe you want, wanted to lose your job. Who does it? I don't know. What are your greatest concerns right now? If you are profoundly unhappy or if you are happy, it's a good time to examine your life. Psalm 1 tells us how to do this. It's a summary of the whole book, Psalm number 1, of the principles of the whole Bible, actually. 
The first word is blessed, and it tells us that being happy is possible, something that every human being has wanted in every culture, is to have a certain kind of contentment, something that's not going to go away, not something that's just bestowed upon us, not something that we're just supposed to naturally have, not something that better people have or smarter people have, but a sense that is much deeper than that, that emotional sense inside that there must be something greater, there must be a love that is permanent and everlasting. Recently, people have been teaching that happiness is a natural state, a human right, but that's not reflected in anybody's reality. As you experience more in life, happiness is not as easy as you thought, is it? And you can get very cynical the more you age and the more you have and the more you succeed. And see, in getting past that cynicism is why the best and most inspiring stories are those that are about tragedies. Have you noticed that? or about difficult things in life, or things that we need to overcome, or things that maybe we don't overcome. The situations in life, these are the best stories. This week was the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 13 mission. You know, the Apollo 13 mission was a failure. It didn't make it to the moon. Everybody almost died. And yet, it's one of the most inspiring stories ever. I watched that with my family this week. We have family play on Voodoo. If you ever noticed that, you can click that. It takes out all the stuff that you really don't want your kids to see. And uh, I encourage you to try that for some movies that maybe are worth it. I think this one is worth it. For us, it's worth it because my father-in-law, Christy's dad, was one of the engineers who worked for NASA during Apollo 13. He has the Medal of Freedom. It wasn't given to him personally, but it was given to the entire NASA crew at the time. So there's something personal. We wanted our kids to know that their grandfather was involved in this. And it's interesting that in the midst of a big failure is great inspiration a great place where, and it's very emotional, we, we were tearing up at the end of the movie, even though we already knew how it ended. You know what's really interesting is nobody's doing a movie about Apollo 12. Nothing interesting happened, it was a success. Same thing with Apollo 14, not really that interesting, it was successful. You see, God does amazing work when we're able to go through difficult times like now because it turns us to Him, it turns us to things that matter the most. Comedies never win Best Picture. Have you noticed that? It's important that we laugh. They're enjoyable, but they're not moving typically. When we go to the culture who says we should be happy, we see the rich and we see the famous and the powerful, and we say we need to be like them to be happy. But you know what? They're not very happy. I mean, do you really want the life of a celebrity? They're miserable most of the time. Have you noticed this? Their marriages don't work. Their relationships don't work. Their careers don't last very long most of the time. Why do we want that so badly? Lottery winners. Lottery winners are broke after a few years most of the time. Did you know that? And they're miserable. They lose their families. They lose their friends. They don't know how to trust anybody. Why do we want that? The Bible says it's, ha it's possible to be happy and blessed and truly happy, but it comes from being rooted in the right place. Verse 3 that person, the blessed person, the happy person, is like a tree planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Note that this tree is going through seasons. It's not always yielding fruit, but at the same time, it's evergreen. You see, the happiness, the blessedness is because of its roots, not its seasonal experiences. It's planted by the streams that are always there. When we expect to find happiness in our external experiences and the seasons that come in life, we're going to be disappointed. Real happiness is found where your roots are. 
When you dig in in the right place next to the stream, the stream of living water that is always there and what you're holding on to, it's where you go for your sustenance. You see, happiness is not about what happens to you, but it is about who you are. Unhappy people are too much like the tree not planted by the stream, one who only survives when conditions are acceptable, but can't survive a season of adversity. A Christian is somebody who is rooted in Christ, not just a religious person who follows some rules. That's why we have an identity as a child of God, adopted into the family of God. You see, trees experience affliction. They do. And yet this tree, its leaf never withers. And the reason why is because its roots are dug down deep and dug down deep into the stream that is always there. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, Peter says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. What's interesting here is that both rejoicing and suffering are happening at the same time. It isn't that in all this you used to greatly rejoice, but right now you're having a little difficulty. No, in all this you currently greatly rejoice, even though right now you are suffering. You see, both of those things can happen at the same time. And this gets us to the biblical idea of foundational happiness or blessedness. Both rejoicing and suffering can happen at the same time. The tree sometimes is in drought, or maybe there's no fruit, and yet the leaf doesn't wither. And it's because its roots are deep and into something else. The tree goes through the dryness and puts its roots down further into the stream during the difficult times. It digs down deep to find that water that is so necessary for life and sustenance. During this difficult time, have you thought about that? Where are your roots? Are you digging deeper into God's word to get to know him more? This is what we're to do. You see, the stream for the tree is worthy of the effort. And when you go through trials, and when you are not going through trials the same way, you need to draw closer to God through prayer and through the word. You dig down to the stream of living water that comes from Christ, and you are rooted in him, and that can't change even though the circumstances above the surface do. Happy people are rooted in Christ and their blessedness is not determined by seasons or events, but by constantly seeking Christ and his kingdom. Do you want to be happy and blessed? Then you've got to find out who and what is worthy of your time and place your time and your experience and your presence there, your thoughts, your life. For the unhappy, something else besides God is worthy of your time and your thoughts and your body and your soul where you walk and where you sit and where you stand. But the happy, they know that God is worthy of all of our life. Blessed is the one, the psalmist begins, verse two. Blessed is the one, and then in verse two, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Our number one priority is about what we think is worthy of our effort and to focus there. The scriptures tell us it's our Lord God. When you prioritize the worthiness of God in your life, which is what worship is, you have come to the real God without conditions and you say, God, I owe you everything and I expect nothing. You owe me nothing. You can't come to God and say, okay, God, well, I'll come to you, but I expect you to do this, that, and this. Lots of religious people do that. Maybe you come to church for that reason. Lots of people say, well, I'll just go to church and, and if I go to church, then God will do these things in my life and it's some kind of transaction that's happening that you're in charge of. But this is when our priority is our own agenda and not God's. Interestingly, the less that you are concerned about your own happiness and the more you are concerned about God and doing his will, the happier you will be. 
And if you're concerned about God and prioritizing His worthiness with your life, it will affect your choices. This is why He has to be priority number one, because secondly, you will live life according to God's Word if you want to be blessed. Happiness can never be found directly. It's always a byproduct of seeking something else other than happiness. The Bible never says, blessed is the one who seeks blessedness. Happy is the one who seeks happiness. It doesn't work that way. That's the problem with our culture right there, by the way. We're seeking blessedness. We're seeking happiness. And we think that is the goal. That is the height of everything that we are to be. But that's not the teaching. That's not how the universe works. That's not how God created us. You see, the Bible is always about this. Blessed is he who hungers and thirsts after something more than blessedness. Seek happiness or seek righteousness. Which should you seek first? Jesus told us in Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You know what this means? It means if you seek righteousness first more than happiness, you'll get both. But if you're seeking happiness first more than righteousness, you're gonna get neither. We need to put God first in our priority and it changes our life in the way we live. Jesus says after that, you who are worried, Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek that first. It is the way to move forward in this life. You're unhappy when you do something else. Back to verse one again. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Notice this. It begins, blessed is, and then it says, who does not this and who does not this, who does not this. It's an interesting way to go about it, but it tells us something right away, that there are choices to be made immediately in our life if we wanna be blessed. It's a choice, it's a progression here. Walk, sit, and stand. You see, it begins with your intellect, and your intellect will determine your behavior, and then that will determine where and with whom you live your life. Blessedness is a choice in these areas. First, it says in, in verse one, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Some translations say, walk in the counsel of the ungodly. I like that one a little bit better because what this is talking about, walking in step with the the wicked, is about your intellectual approach to things. It's where you get your counsel. This is the beginning, by the way, of blessedness. This is the beginning of making good decisions of wisdom. Where do you get your ideas of how to live life? Who influences you as far as how to make a moral choice? in your life, a good decision. Where do you get your counsel? Have you thought about this before? Do you get your counsel from those who promote sinful behavior or or behavior that's contrary to the Bible because they just think it works better in this culture? Or those who tell you to seek your own passions before you seek the will of God, to seek your own kingdom first and then maybe God's kingdom can come along later? You see, this is the first step of unhappiness. It begins in our intellect. When we walk in step with the wicked, it's to ignore advice in the scriptures about finances, about sex, about other moral choices, and to go with the culture instead. So many of us do that. And so many of us are hurting when we have sought the wrong counsel and then applied it in our life. If you are not happy, if you're saying to yourself, gosh, I'm just not happy, this is a good place to start. Who's advising you? Where do you get your counsel? You know what? Here's what you should do. Pray through this psalm and ask God to advise you. Say, Lord, you are my counselor. Go to his word and ask for wisdom. James tells us if we ask for wisdom, he will give it to you. 
regardless of your circumstances. He'll be generous with it. God, give me wisdom. What should I do? Go to him. Next, blessed is the one who does not stand in the way that sinners take. It moves us from intellect to behavior. See, it's belief, and whatever you believe will make you happy, will determine the choices that you make ultimately. It's where you take your stand is the idea here, to stand in the way that sinners take. It's where you have made a decision based on some belief that you've been advised to take. I'm going to take my stand here, and it will influence your behavior. Let me ask you something right now. How are you doing? Morally, you got a lot of time for yourself. Where's that taking you? Or maybe you're completely concerned and obsessed with what's happening in the world today and you're hoarding a bunch of stuff even though you know your neighbor needs something. Are you being generous or are you hoarding? Which is it? You see, there is something to all of this. Are you checking in on others or are you circling the wagons and hoping that somebody else will do that? You see, based upon what you believe, what it is that is driving you, where it is that you think your priorities should be. It's going to determine how you respond. And the way that sinners take is a path to destruction. If you're standing in the way that sinners take and you're taking your stand on something that leads to that destruction, it's going to cause you problems. I see it all the time as a pastor. I see people choose drugs and alcohol and porn and gossip and bad-mouthing and fault-finding and all these activities that for whatever reason, at a particular moment, they give us pleasure. At a particular moment, it seems like this is the right thing to do. And sometimes we can even find counsel that'll tell us it's okay, that it's empowering, that is, you know, as long as you're not hurting somebody else, if it feels good, do it. And we listen to that. And it's so sad because, number one, these people are never happy. It's never enough. And then it just gets worse, and it's so destructive. You know what, if you are not feeling blessed, if you're not happy, pray through this and say, God, where am I taking my stand? In whom am I putting my trust? And what decisions am I making that you would prefer I do not make, that you command I do not make? Pray that prayer and ask God, am I standing with a sinful culture or a holy God? Blessed is the one who stands with the holy God and not with a sinful culture. You see, you can pray this way. See, when you go through this psalm, it can get very deep, very personal, and everybody watching this is thinking something different right now. And then where you sit, who sit in the company of mockers, blessed is the one who does not sit in the company of mockers. It's the place you call home where you sit. It's the idea of what kind of person you are, really. It's where you think you belong. This moves us from our intellect to our behavior to who you actually become and who you begin to get content with in yourself where you start to even not be humble anymore because somehow you think you're just a little bit better so you sit in the seat of mockers. You think you're just better than other people, that you've got things all worked out, that the reason that guy's not happy is because he made some mistakes or he had a bad upbringing or whatever the reason. I'm going to be okay because I've made better choices and I have some advantages. This is the path to destruction. And what's happening is you're not delighting in the law of God, but you delight in the company of those people and the things that mock God. It's where you have empty religion. Maybe you go to church or you go to a small group or a city group, but you delight in being first and being in the know and being in control and being liked and being popular and being better than others. And these are the things that you really become about. And you get really upset and ticked off when you aren't one of those things, when you're not in the know, when you're not first, when you aren't the one who seems to be popular. And those things become so much more valuable to you for whatever reason. 
you find yourself sitting in a place where you will never, ever be happy and you won't feel blessed. You see, you can pray about this and ask God this, God, who am I? He's going to call you to make your identity one in Him. And maybe that means that you change. Whose company should you be keeping? This is important for us in a church family. In most of the books of the New Testament, the writers address these issues that happen in churches. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? And we see this all over the place. The kind of people that we want to be around are kind and compassionate, forgiving, that we forgive others as Christ forgives us. First Thessalonians tells us to encourage others. Galatians, bear the burdens of others. Hebrews, stir people up to do good. That these are the activities of people who sit in the council of the holy. You never see praise for the negative and the mockers and the grumblers and the fight, founder, fight fault finders. You never see them in Scripture. Never. You see, happy people encourage others. They bear each other's burdens. They spur one another on to do good. And this becomes infectious. It's something that eventually people are encouraging you because you're encouraging them. That's how it works. And they're doing good to you because you're doing good to them. It all comes down to treating others how you would like to be treated, you know. Sometimes you treat others nicely and they treat you poorly, but in the church, the way it's supposed to be, in God's holy family of the saints... We're encouraging to one another. We're building each other up. We're forgiving one another. And if we're bad-mouthing and we're talking down about people and we're just being critical of other people who aren't in the room, we're not going to be happy. And it's going to come crashing down. So how do we get here? We'll begin by asking this, who is worthy of where you sit and stand and walk? And is your delight in the law of the Lord? The law of the Lord, it means the whole message of the Bible as a rule for your life. Not rules like religious rule keeping, but an understanding of where you should live your life, who you are to become, where you get your counsel from. How do you make wise decisions? You see, the psalmist is looking at the entire message of God. And this book is about truth and justice, about forgiveness and grace, about our identity as human beings and our eternal destination. It's the story of a great and powerful God who sent his son to die for you and to die for me so that whoever believes in him will be eternally forgiven and have everlasting life and be forever in perfect joy and peace. Doesn't that sound good? You see, happiness is people who know this. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. My friends, delight in his word. Something we're doing during this period of time is on Mondays, we're asking you to memorize a verse. Do your best you can with that. Get into his word and make it part of your memory. Something that you will call to mind whenever things go difficult. Be encouraged with the email devotion that goes out on Tuesdays. Every day of the week, there is something we're emailing out. If you're not getting that, you can sign up for it right on our, our live stream page. Those things are there to help you focus on Christ during this time. You see, God's word is a lamp for our feet and a light on my path. If you're not sure where to go and you're listening to this saying, man, I'm miserable, I'm not happy, what do I do? Get into this word. 
I promise you it will light up your path. It will change your life. Do you know how to read Scripture? Do you know how to consider and meditate on it? Pray through it? That's something we hope to help you with in this series. And is God worthy of what is on your heart? Yes, he is. Something else you're going to notice from the Psalms is David, who writes a lot of these, man, he just pours out his heart. The worst sins and failures, he just confesses openly. And of course, God knows about that the same way God knows about that in your life. And you see him wrestle. You see him struggle. You see him struggle with his enemies. You see him lament in bad times and you see him give praise in the great times and he gives praise in the bad times. You can pray like that too when your relationship with God is something that comes out of the idea that you realize that he's worthy of all of that and that you want to walk in his word and delight in the law of God. When you put your roots down in this way, you put them into streams of living water and you find out that God is worthy of your concerns, your joys, your silly stories and your serious concerns, your anger, your grief, whatever it is. Verse three, that person This blessed and happy person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. This prospering is not for themselves but because they are rooted in what is good and what is right. That is what they want. They want what God wants. They make decisions based on that and they prosper in this and they're blessed. They're happy. Verse four, not so the wicked. They are like chaff in the wind that blows away. They have no roots. They don't go deep. They're just very surfacey. And as soon as things get difficult, as soon as the wind blows, it blows them down, blows them away. So be blessed, happy, prioritize the worthiness of God and live a life according to God's word. Do that. And as you're doing that, you need to know something else. And this is something that is really critical to the matter. You need to know that you are known by God, that he is your creator. He owns you. Know this, know that God knows you. You should say this to yourself, know that God knows me. I think that's what I put in the notes as you're praying through it. Know that God knows me. Verse five, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. You see, there is a certain future for the believer and also for those who are not believers in Jesus. And that future is not determined by me or the church or some priest you know or some guru who wrote a book. That's future is determined ultimately by God. And at the end, at the time of judgment, he's going to separate the wheat from the tares. He's going to separate the goats and the sheep. And there will be judgment. But for the believer, you're going to be on the right side of that, in the right assembly. There is a certain future that God has determined for you this way. See, if God is real, then this is the paramount issue in your life. It's the paramount issue of your happiness, of your joy, of everything you look forward to is what is God's promises for you and does he know you? And knowing that you have eternal life, knowing it is a gift from God through Christ, it will bring you happiness because no matter what happens in your life, you're going to be able to seek him and you're gonna know that your hope is not in the circumstances of your life, but it's something that is real. You're gonna know that you have a gift of God through Christ and you'll be able to walk and stand and sit in the right place. And you can know it, by the way. John would write this in 1 John 5, verse 13 and 14. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You know what the word know means? It means know. 
This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Note, you can know that you have eternal life through Christ. You didn't earn it. He earned it. And He rose again from the dead, proving that He defeated death, proving that He is who He says He was. And note, you can have confidence then in approaching God when you're asking according to His will. You see, when you are this one who delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night and you're not somebody who walks in step with the wicked or stands in the way that sinners take or sits in the company of mockers, you have confidence that you are living for God. And you have confidence that when you ask something in his will, it will be in his will and this will happen. How do you pray this psalm? It's certainly God's will that you do not walk in the steps of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Ask God to help you make the right choices in your life and to live according to His will. It's not going to happen overnight. You see, all of these things that are really wrapped into what wisdom is, wisdom is a path, not a gate. It's not something you're just going to open up today and go, okay, now I'm wise and everything has worked out. It's a path that you're going to live on where the Word of God is a light to your path. It doesn't just show you the door. It takes you along the path of life and it's a light that takes you to your next step. It doesn't show you everything that's going to happen in your life but it does show you what your next steps ought to be. And this is how you should pray this psalm. Ask God to help you make the right choices and to make him the priority of your life and he will provide a way. And verse six tells us this. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The righteous seek God and his kingdom first. This is the path to truth and blessedness and happiness. And when God is worthy of your attention in life, you're going to prosper at the right things. And you're going to be able to say, I am blessed. And you will be happy, truly happy, regardless of the circumstances. So some takeaways for today is this. There's some things to pray through. And as you pray through the psalm, I encourage you to take some time today, take some time even with your family in just a few minutes, and pray through these things and pray through them through the week. Ask yourself this. Where do I stand? Where do I walk? And where do I sit? Where do you go for counsel? Do you go to the word of God? Would you know even where to go? If you don't, hey, you know what? You can start today to get into the word of God. God is worthy of our attention and reliance. Go to the Lord in prayer and seek him first. And don't walk in step with the wicked. Get your counsel from the righteous, from the holy ones. And where do you stand? What is your life like? How does that counsel influence you? What decisions are you making? Live according to his word and let it light your path. Ask God to help you. In your prayers, you ask God to help you. And you know what? God promises to send us the Holy Spirit for help. He's the helper. And this is supernatural help. This isn't help because you bought a book on Amazon and it happened to be the right book that spoke to you. This is supernatural help that comes from God. This is how God wants to be a part of your life, to actually change you. You can't do it on your own, but you can do it with God because this is what he wants with you. And where do you sit? What kind of person are you really? Who are you surrounded by? I want to encourage you, especially if you're well, regardless of you're struggling or you're doing great right now, make sure that you're always sitting with people who can be encouraging to you. 
And if you're with somebody who's discouraging to you, maybe sometimes you need to get a different friend. Maybe that's not an option because there's somebody in your family or somebody in your oikos who is with you. Then turn it around and be encouraging back. And if someone is discouraging to you, be encouraging back. And find some encouraging people to be in your life. You know, one of the reasons, there are many, but one of the reasons we have city groups and one of the reasons we have these men's and women's groups that we're promoting right now, Real Talk and uh, the men's group Reading the Cure, is so that you can have, you can sit in the council of godly people so that you can be encouraged, so that you can be with people who are gonna point you to God's word and help you grow and help you see this path and help you prioritize God. You know, sometimes people who've been in the church for a long time, we see these groups and we say, I don't need that, I've been in church for a long time. Pastors do that. You know, sometimes we're just like, I don't need that. I know other people do, but I'm, you know. No, we, we need it. We need to be with people who encourage, who build each other up, who give us the opportunity to encourage them to be personal and to be part of the family of God. I want to encourage you to join these things, to contact us at our website there so you can be a part of that. Even if you're new to our church, you know, after our service, there's a Zoom call I'll be on. I'd love to talk to you about that and help you connect to these groups. You need it. When you pray about this, you need to pray that you would not be alone in this world, that you would know the presence of God who is with you and the presence of the body of Christ that you are part of as part of this church or whatever church you happen to be a part of if you're just checking us out today you know i think everybody needs a church family and i know a lot of you are watching and you never go to church you rarely go to church this is a great opportunity in the privacy of your own home to pray god i want to sit in the council of the holy would you pray that prayer and contact us so you can get involved this way and for all of you who go to our church who are not connected, who are feeling you know, left out or having a hard time, help one another and you take that step to help get connected. And you know what else? If you want to know who Jesus is, our Savior, if you want to know more about who this God is, would you please contact us? There's a form right there on the live stream page or contact us through the church website. Call our care line one way or the other. Get in touch. This is the best opportunity in your life, perhaps to take this time to figure out where it is that you're rooted and to dig down deep into the streams of living water that come from Jesus Christ, your Savior. Would you do that? If you do that, you will be blessed. You'll be happy in all of the right things and it'll never be taken away from you. You will know that you have everlasting life and you will know the joy and the peace and the happiness that comes from that. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for our time together and for your word. And I pray that everybody listening here would take a moment to pray through Psalm 1, that we would take this time to really consider our life. We ask you, Lord, to examine us, each one of us, and create a clean spirit in us. Many of us need a new start. Lord, let us see this opportunity let us see this time as an opportunity to have that. And God, many of us feel like everything is right. Lord, let us not become conceited about this. Let us not be complacent, but let us use this time as well to dig our roots deeper, especially as we see that life is hard and we don't know what's coming. The only thing that we know is that those who believe in Jesus Christ have the promise of everlasting life. 
there is true joy in that. Lord, I pray that everybody listening would hear that joy and that we would all see you as worthy of our time, worthy of our prayers, worthy of our praise, worthy of our deepest, most inner thoughts. I pray, Lord, that we would pray conversationally, pray in meditation that we would hear from you for what you want to do to develop us and who we are. Help us, Lord, in each one of these areas, and we thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.